The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. I'm going to read for you the uh, eight verses that present for us Mark's Accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, uh, Mark chapter number 16. If you have your Bibles, it'd be a good idea to be there in Mark 16. Hear the word of the Lord. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying uh, to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. My, uh, my big idea for this sermon and the ones to follow uh, is this. Battle fear with resurrection truth. Battle fear with resurrection truth. Fear is a major factor in our world today. How could we expect otherwise? Wars and rumors of wars, global pandemic, world economy, all of the challenges that we're facing, not just in our own local area of job loss, population loss, 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 but globally. And so fear is a major factor uh, in our world today. And of course, fear is a factor that grips the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as it was that first resurrection morning. In our context, uh, it is not fear of persecution or suffering as much uh, as it is for many a fear of the future. Now, we should be aware and, and take note and pray because persecution is happening around the world against Christians. And this is especially true during these holy times, these high church days. And we read the news reports in places around the world where churches were burned down, Christians were killed or imprisoned. But for for most Americans, and certainly for most American Christians, it is a, a fear of the unknown. It is a fear that's rooted in whether or not God can actually be trusted Will God do what God said he was going to do or not? Well, I hope that these sermons will address the hope 
that is indeed ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ as we learn again and are reminded again of these glorious truths that Jesus indeed lives and not just as a religious philosophy or not a sentimental idea but that the God-man in physical form inhabits a throne in heaven on high and there he rules and reigns and from that exalted place he is coming again. The embodied Christ. And as we ponder that and think about that in light of the resurrection accounts that we will grow in confidence as a congregation. For Jesus himself said, perfect love does what? Cast out fear you want to begin to see fear reduced as kind of an emotional baseline then learn what it means to be loved with the perfection of god revealed to us in jesus christ i absolutely love and have grown to love the way the gospel writer uh, writers uh, invite us into the story of the resurrection of our lord through the experience of the women who first went to the tomb and there quite unexpectedly uh, they meet an angel now uh, not, they weren't touched by an angel like back in the what was that in the 90s uh, they weren't touched by an angel uh, it isn't the little angel that you know maybe you see lines in a crib once they finally go to sleep they look so angelic uh, different at other times uh, we won't say what they look like at other times, uh, but not that kind of, but, but an actual, uh, believe it or not, real angel. Uh, and of course, angels were part and parcel of the experience of God's people all throughout the scriptures. And so the, the, the biblical authors wouldn't have been surprised. Uh, the women were surprised perhaps that they would be met by one. But when they come to the tomb that morning, here's an angel you see, they were going uh, there with their spices to anoint the body of Jesus. No one expected him to not be there. Their great concern was, how are we going to get the stone moved? I mean, women are wonderfully practical this way, aren't they? I mean, my wife and I are taking a little trip to Washington, D.C. We're gone five days. And I mean, she's a wonderful planner. Four months ago, it started. <laughs> um, you know, very practical. She's concerned about things that I'm like, well, I'm sure that'll work out okay, <laughs> you know. But these women, are, as they go, they're like, oh, we got a problem. We got the spices. The body's on the inside. But how are we going to move the stone? Mark, tell, it's a big stone. And they must be thinking to themselves, you know, we'll get somebody to shove the thing out of the way. But what they were not expecting at all was for the stone to be moved and when they go inside, for an angel to be there. We should take note that women in the Bible have such courage. They have such courage. And you know, it, it is, it is a, a great sign of courage on their part to do what they did, and yet fear is still a dominant feature of their experience. And I think, you know, we, we owe a real debt of gratitude to the women who love Jesus so deeply, and they show us a way forward, don't they, into how we should be responding to the Lord's Christ. On this very first new day, the eighth day, as it were, um, 
you see how Jesus is reordering life and how life is set right by Jesus. And so as we kind of see this unfolding in the biblical story, and we'll see it each week as we move along, one word kind of pushed up into my mind, and I said, you know, I think this is a good word to think on these weeks, and that is the word restoration. The word restoration. What we read as we read the message from God through the angel to the women is a story of restoration. It is resurrection, but it's the resurrection of Jesus uniquely that brings restoration, not only to the world, but especially to individual people. There's something that if you're familiar with the story, the larger story, and we were certainly in the larger story earlier this week, that you might have like keyed in on when the angel says to the women in uh, verse number seven, go... Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now that's a real key for this text. But let me begin by asking a larger question. And and you have to kind of reach back to Palm Sunday and you move the story forward. And let's ask this question. Who is the only person In this entire story from the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem through his crucifixion and here on the first resurrection day, who is the only person that is not afraid? Who is the only person that isn't fearful? Now, if you're thinking right now, I'm throwing you a trick question. I'm not. It is the obvious answer. Jesus! See, if I was in, uh, you know, we used to call it super church when I was a little kid in Chicago, and they'd throw you some candy if you got the right answer. Like, we were like, you know, uh, at the petting zoo, they'd throw you some, you know, grain or whatever, throw some, hey, Kenny Prater, there you get a Tootsie Roll, don't eat it till afterwards. Like, that wasn't going to work. It's Jesus. Jesus is the only person, and yet, who's the only person under the Uh, under the the threat of death who's the only person that knows he's going to go be crucified who's the only person that's going to face the violence and the outrage of evil it's jesus and yet jesus is the only one who's not afraid you want to know what to do with your fear don't 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 look around a room and follow all the people that are panicked and going nuts follow the person who's not afraid, who understands how it will all work out. You see, the religious leaders are afraid they're going to lose their position of power. The people, you, you, you might recall on the night of betrayal when they come to take Jesus away, they, they show up a, a, a mass of people with clubs and stuff to take Jesus. They're afraid. Pilate, I mean, Pilate represents the most powerful empire in the world. The literally, the guy just has to snap his finger and people are in jail. And yet he's so afraid that he's going to lose his position. And he acts with fear. And of course, the disciples are afraid. They run and hide. Even, you know, even after the death of Jesus, the religious leaders who seem to be holding all the cards, they're afraid someone might come and steal his body. So Pilate, can we have a guard to protect the entrance to the tomb? 
And yet, when you think about it, the only person who is not afraid is Jesus Christ. And why isn't Jesus afraid? Well, he knew what the Scriptures taught. He believed what the Scriptures taught. He obeyed what the Scriptures taught. His life was, as we've been saying, shaped, formed, forged by the Scriptures. That's not an oversimplification. That's a signpost for you and I to follow. You know, it's not enough for me just to stand up here, you know, follow Jesus, don't be afraid. No, you actually have to understand who Jesus is. And the way you understand who Jesus is is through his word. It says our lives are shaped and formed and forged by the scriptures that we then see Jesus with all clarity and then we begin to follow him. And that's not just a one time like passing by the scripture. Hope you get a few nuggets here and there. It is an investment of time and energy and effort and prayer and in reading the scripture. You see, when the women come to the tomb, they are alarmed. And not because they're women. You know, not all women are just fearful by nature. No, that's not the case at all. They saw an angel. <laughs> the, the tomb was empty. They're shaken by this. It is the fear of alarm then that is addressed by the angel who brings their attention directly to Jesus of Nazareth. He is not here. Come, see the place where he was laid. He's risen. He's not here. Church, you know what we need to do with our fears? Take them and place them on Jesus. You know what we need to do with our concerns? We need to place them on Jesus. The one who is not in the tomb, not a religious philosophy, not an idea about a good guy who did nice things, but the actual Lord's Christ who is alive today. The message of grace, though, grows even brighter as the angel tells them to go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. And there, you're actually going to see him just as he told you. Women, don't be afraid. See, he's not here. He's risen. Now go. Tell his disciples. Tell Peter that he's going to meet you in Galilee just like he told you that he would do. Now we need to understand here that the angel is not the giver of grace. The angel is the messenger of grace. The grace comes through Jesus who is going to meet his disciples, the disciples who were afraid, the disciples who failed, the disciples who fled Jesus at the critical moment. And notice especially the mention of Peter, right? The mention of Peter. And there's a lesson here for the church. And, and the lesson for the church is to take careful note of the way, then, that Mark uses the prophet Zechariah. Now, we're going to piece this together. And we're going to see, then, how the scriptures can help us not to fear, while at the same time reinforcing God's great grace of forgiveness that is free for all of us to take hold of. You might recall last Sunday, right? Last Sunday wasn't too long ago, but it was a week ago. It's a long time. Jesus comes into the city, 
and the prophet Zechariah is used. Here comes the king. He's humble. He's sitting on the foal of a donkey. And the people waved their palm branches and everybody was all excited. It was all very, very wonderful. But then, on the night of his betrayal, Jesus says to his disciples, and when he says this, he again quotes the prophet Zechariah. He says, the shepherd will be struck down and the sheep will be scattered. But then he adds this. But after I'm raised, I will meet you in Galilee. And then right after that, you know what you have? You have Peter saying, oh, I'll never forsake you, Lord. I'll never fail you, Lord. And it became one of those things like when you're trying to get your kids in the bathtub, you will go in the bathtub. The kid goes, no, I won't. Yes, you will. No, I won't. You know, that back and forth. Well, Jesus, no, Peter, you are going to forsake me. And Peter goes, no, I'm not. And Jesus says, yes, you are. And what happened? He did. But, but isn't this the great thing about Jesus? And isn't this the great thing for people who have had so much failure in their life that they wonder, can God really love me? Does God really still care about me? I don't seem to have got my act together very often. What would God say about that? Go tell Peter that I'm going to see him as well. It, it, it is such a wonderful reality of grace to know that Jesus keeps his word not just to faithful people like the women, but he keeps his word to unfaithful, fearful people like the disciples, like these men who all ran and fled. Massive failure by everyone except the one upon whom grace depends. And isn't it assuring? And if you would ponder the life of Jesus, you would perhaps come to this assurance that the humble king who rode into Jerusalem that Zechariah prophesied about is also the lamb who was struck down and he is also the shepherd who regathers his sheep. You, you want to know what to do with your fears? Take a look at the king who humbly rides in and then look at him as the Lamb of God who is struck down and he dies in such a way that his blood provides forgiveness for our sins. And then the great shepherd who was raised from the dead then regathers his perfect disciples. That's who he regathers, right? All of his perfect people, they all get together. No, it's all of the people who have failed. And he says, I'm going to go ahead of you into Galilee just like I told you I would. And there I'm going to meet you. And there I'm going to restore you. You see, it is a great work of restoration that Jesus is involved in. But there's one more answer we get from this text. And as I was preparing this earlier in the week, it, it, it dawned on me that, that the, the circle of the ministry of Jesus, as it were, is fulfilled. You, some of you might recall that early in his ministry, so like at the very outset of his ministry, um, Nathaniel, right, this guy named Nathaniel, going to be one of the disciples, and he says, you know, when somebody says, well, who was it, Andrew, that said, hey, come, I think, we found, I think we found the Messiah. He's coming out of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, what? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
And it's kind of an open-ended question. Jesus says to him, well, follow me and find out. And now, three years later, you know where, you know where Nazareth is in? It's in Galilee. And three years later, we find the answer to that question. Can anything really good come out of Nazareth? Can anything really good come out of Galilee? Yes, it can. The Lord's Christ, the one who forgives us for our sins, the one who died for us and the one who will meet us in our fear and in our failure, he will go to where we are if we will go to where he is. And there he will meet us. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, the answer is pretty obvious now, right? Only the Savior of the world. I mean, only the restorer of souls. Only the one who can heal the nations. This king who rode in humbly on the foal of a donkey is now going before them. Just think about this. How do we treat people who fail us? Well, when you're ready to say sorry, I'll think about forgiving you. I mean, that's how the world works, right? How does Jesus work? Jesus says, I know you're going to fail me, and I'm going to lay down my life for you in spite of that, and then I'm going to be waiting for you on the other side. All you got to do is come to me, and I'll bring you in. I'll restore you. What are you waiting for? And why spend another day outside of that kind of love? Whatever fears you may have, whatever failures you may be holding on to, whatever difficulties you presently have in your life, the one who restores is the one who is waiting. No wonder the angel says to the women, don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. He's not here. Come, come on, look. He's not here. But go tell his disciples and Peter he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And he's telling us the same thing today. Now, now I've just given you three different scripture passages that connect together the story of Jesus, which is what I mean by when I say, you know, we got to be shaped and formed and forged by the scriptures. So that as we think into God's word and the life of Jesus comes to us, then we see Jesus more clearly and there go our fears. Can I be forgiven? Am I truly loved? Is there a future? Is there a hope? What's going to happen? All of those things right on top of Jesus, the one who has risen from the dead. Friends, Jesus can deliver us from our fear. He can save us. He can pour out the healing balm of grace. It is a great resurrection truth to know that Jesus is in the business of restoration as he takes a fearful group of women and points them to the failing men who are also afraid and gets them all together and transforms them by his power so then one of those men named Peter, Jude read earlier, stands up and proclaims the crucified, risen Christ. No fear, operating in the power of the resurrected Jesus. But we do have to be willing to go and meet him. We do have to be willing 
to go to wherever our Galilee might be in one sense in our own personal experience. But in a much greater sense, this is our Galilee. I mean, the church is the place of salvation. The church is the place where every week we need to be coming to and needing to be reminded of who Jesus is and how much we are loved and how much we need to care for one another. The church is the place. Maybe all churches should just be called Galilee, right? I mean, it might be confusing, but nevertheless, this is it. This is the place where Jesus meets his people. We come for salvation. We come to lay down our rights and our self-rule, and we say, Jesus, we're going to trust you. We enter the waters of baptism. We are brought into the visible church where we worship and gather around his word and prayer and his table. And when we find that grace restoring us, when we find that grace putting us back together, we love one another, we reconcile with one another just as we have been reconciled to God through Jesus. The church then is the place where people who have failed and forsaken Jesus are then restored to Jesus. The church is the place where perfect love can be found and fear cast out. Well, as we move forward this Easter season, the next 50 days of great celebration of our risen Lord, going into then the wonderful season of Pentecost, I pray that we might be a people who continuously meet Jesus where he waits for us, arms wide open to love us and care for us and bring us into his family. We will do that as we give our lives to his church through his word to be shaped, to be formed, to be forged by the holy word of God. It's a joyful thing to be able to say today, he is risen. He is risen Alleluia. He is risen. And then to endeavor by God's grace to live in the power of that resurrection. Having come to faith in Jesus, having died with him, and being raised up with him, we have hope for our future. Live in that hope. Father, we give you thanks for this resurrection day in which our hearts can be once again lifted up with joy and thanksgiving Fear not is the great message that the angels would give us today through your blessed word. Now, Father, there may be people who are sitting in this room asking themselves right now, is this actually true? Is that possible that they could be forgiven, that they could be restored? Oh, Father, I pray that you would show them not just that it's possible, but that it's real for them would your spirit be poured out and if any have questions about what this means to believe in jesus would they not leave this room without seeking someone to talk to and to follow through then with a bible study or coming to church and learning once again what it means that jesus the crucified risen savior lives for them today we pray in his good name amen
Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.